This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, where I interview authors about their latest works. Listen to what inspired the storyline, how their covers and titles were chosen, their personal connection to the story, and other fascinating tidbits about the authors themselves. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books. I can be found on Instagram and Pinterest at Thoughts from a Page. And if you have any comments about the podcast or feedback for me, I can be reached through my website, www.thoughtsfromapage.com. Today, I am interviewing Alice Henderson about her new book, A Solitude of Wolverines. I absolutely loved the book and named it one of my BuzzRead columns' top five picks for November. Alice is a writer of fiction, comics, and video game material. Her love of wild places inspired her new thriller series, which begins with A Solitude of Wolverines. In addition to being a writer, Henderson is a wildlife researcher and geographic information systems specialist. She documents wildlife on specialized recording equipment, checks remote cameras, creates maps, and undertakes wildlife surveys to determine what species are present on preserves, while ensuring there are no signs of poaching. She surveyed for the presence of grizzlies, wolves, wolverines, jaguars, endangered bats, and more. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, Alice. I love The Solitude of Wolverines, and I'm really looking forward to talking with you about it today. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks, Cindy. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you. I picked up this book and finished it in less than 24 hours. It was that good. I was just racing through the pages till I got to the end. Why don't we start out and you tell me a little bit about it? Okay. Uh, Well, my book, A Solitude of Wolverines, stars my protagonist, Alex Carter, She's a wildlife biologist who lands a gig on a wildlife sanctuary in remote northwestern Montana. The land was originally an old ski resort, but it's now been bought by a land trust. And wolverines had vanished from this area when the ski resort was in full swing. But now that everything's shut down, the land trust is wondering if wolverines have come back to the area. So they hire Alex to find out. So she sets out remote cameras to see if she can capture images of these elusive creatures but the cameras end up capturing far more than what she's expecting, including images of a severely injured man wandering on the preserve. And too late, she realizes she stumbled on a secret that some locals will do anything to keep hidden. And now her life is in danger. And it's going to be the first in a new series about this wildlife biologist. Oh, good. Because that was one of my questions. Based on the ending, I figured it was. I mean, I'm not going to say any more than that because I don't want to ruin the ending. But I was like, I really hope there's going to be another one. There is indeed. We vacation in Colorado, uh, right on the edge of the Rocky Mountains every summer. And I'm pretty sure that I saw a wolverine one time there where we're pretty high up. Would that be right? That is possible. They used to range as far south as New Mexico and as far as east as New York State. But now they're only surviving in these tiny fragmented populations in the Rockies and the Cascades. They're actually down to less than 300 now in the contiguous U.S. But there was a wolverine that did travel down to Colorado by himself. Well, they, that's how they do it. The males kind of strike out to try to find females. And this wolverine went from the Tetons all the way down to Colorado and then all the way up to North Dakota. So it's possible you saw him. <laughs> I was so excited to see it, but I didn't know exactly what it was. So I had to go scavenge out our pamphlets that show the different birds and animals of Colorado and then work my way through them to identify what it was. But eventually I got there. 
That is so cool. So what were the circumstances when you saw it? Well, we stay at the YMCA of the Rockies, which is bounded on all three sides by Rocky Mountain National Park. So it's up at... I think like 9,600 or 9,000. And so it's just on a mountain and there are these cabins, but they're very spread out. And this animal was just kind of walking between two cabins, but they're, they're very spread out. They're not side by side like a neighborhood. I mean, it's spread across the mountain. But when I looked it up, that was all I could come up with that it was. I bet you did see one. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. Well, I just thought it was such an interesting concept for the book. How did you come up with the subject matter? Well, I do a lot of wildlife research myself, and I go on these epic trips to remote places. And I've always been split down the middle between the arts and sciences. I've been writing since I was six and, and then doing scientific research, and, but I never brought the two worlds together for some reason. And I was on this cross-country trip for the Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust, which is this arm of the Humane Society that has preserves all over the country. And I thought this would be an exciting suspense series. The remote settings lend to suspenseful situations and adventure. And I really feel passionately about bringing attention to the plight of wildlife. And that's how I thought I should create this wildlife biologist character. And each book could be about a different endangered species to really bring the focus on them. So that's how I came up with the series. And then that just left, what species should I choose from the first book? And there were so many that really need help out there. And wolverines are a species that not a lot of people know too much about. And they're amazing. They're the largest member of the weasel family. And even though they only weigh like 35 pounds, they've been known to take down moose and drive off grizzly bears from kills, but they're really doing bad over trapping and government so-called predator control programs where they poison predators. And climate change has all led to their huge decline. Like I said earlier, only 300 left in the contiguous U.S. So I really wanted to bring some attention to Wolverine specifically. And that's how I chose them for my first book. I liked that you included additional reading about them at the end where you had seen your Wolverine. You said you had two sightings and then you talked about one of them. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. So that is such a great part of writing this book was going up to these places to Wolverine Habitat because I wanted to be sure I got it all right. So I was doing a pika study. So that's the same habitat Wolverines like, these really high altitude talus slope areas. And I was watching these pikas and suddenly all these hoary marmots and pikas just came streaming down the rock pile. The marmots were whistling an alarm and I looked up. And there was this wolverine powering down across the rock pile just with this single purpose, like they move. And all the marmots and pikas were scurrying into holes, and the wolverine walked right by me. And he just looked at me like, hey, what's up? And just kept going <laughs> and disappeared into this copse of subalpine fur. And then I remembered I had my camera, I didn't take a picture, he was gone. So that was one of my wolverine sightings. And the one I described in the afterward in Solitude of Wolverines was in Glacier National Park in British Columbia. And of all things, I was camping out with my mom and I had to hike out to a payphone to talk to my editor. And <laughs> I was on my way to the payphone on this trail and this wolverine, I heard this rustling in the bushes 
And this Wolverine came out and just crossed the trail right in front of me. And again, just gave me that look like, hey, I know you're there. And just kept going. And then after that, for years, my mom teased me. You saw a Wolverine hiking through a payphone? <laughs> <laughs> that is really funny. I love marmots. I just think they are so entertaining. And the noise they make, they know when you're coming, so they make the noise. But also, if other animals are coming, like elk, or we saw a coyote once when we were up there, and they know before you know. And so they all start chattering between each other. They're just, they're really fun to watch. <laughs> and the pikas. I really love both. And I won't leave when we go up there till I can see it at least one of each. <laughs> so my family's so spotting them so that they don't get stuck up there for hours while we're waiting on a pika or a marmot. <laughs> you do have to wait for a long time. I mean, especially with the pikas, you could sit there for 20 minutes really still and pretty soon you hear their little, it's great. Well, and they blend in so well. So, I mean, you have to be still yourself and really focus on the rocks and then wait because eventually they will move, but you just have to give your eyes a minute also to adjust to the stillness. So true. You'd make a great pika researcher. <laughs> well, with this summer when we were up there, we were talking to a pika researcher and she was indicating because of climate change and the country warming, that they may be one of the first animals to go extinct. I don't know if that's right, but that's what she indicated. Absolutely. Pikas are one of the species I'm studying right now. They're vanishing all over the Great Basin and the Sierra Nevadas. And conservation groups have sued U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to extend protections to them under the Endangered Species Act. But so far, they have not gotten any protections at all. When wolverines are the same way, right? Didn't you have that at the end of your book also, that, that there's been a suit related to them? Yes. They've been trying to list wolverines for 26 years, since 1994. And though it's clear they're disappearing, conservation groups have also sued U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service repeatedly. U.S. District Court judges have ruled that U.S. Fish and Wildlife needs to go back and examine the science because it's clear they're disappearing. and they had to decide by August 31st if they were going to list. And apparently that decision's been made. I was talking to a lawyer at Earth Justice, but it hasn't been made public yet. So I'm curious to see what they decided to do. Well, what kind of research did you do for the book? Well, I traveled to Montana to where the book is set. And I, like Alex Carter, my character, I set out remote cameras in the hopes of capturing some photos of them. But they're so elusive. I mean, the chances, some Wolverine researchers go their entire lives and never see one live. They just see them on remote camera footage. So I didn't have high hopes. And unfortunately, in that trip, I didn't see any Wolverines and I didn't get any photos. But I walked transects and looked for their poop. <laughs> and <laughs> was lucky enough to find some poop. And Wolverines will just eat anything, including the bones of animals. And they'll eat carcasses that have been lying out for three seasons. So you, their poop is very distinctive. <laughs> and I just steeped in the atmosphere out there. I wanted to get everything right. What kind of trees are there? What kinds of bird songs do you hear? What does the air smell like? And really to bring that setting to life in the book. Where did the idea for the lodge come from? I loved that part of the story, the way you created the lodge. I felt like I was there. It was, you know, partly creepy, but partly just run down. I just was so curious how that came about. 
Well, the inspiration for that, I actually was on a bat survey and on a wildlife sanctuary, and it had originally been home to this gigantic conference center. It was actually a, a really cool conference center on solar energy and renewables back in the 80s. But it had closed down and since fallen into disrepair and bats were roosting in it. And you could walk around inside this thing and it was just eerie. You know, the wind would be whistling through these shattered windows and there were plants that had grown inside the building, creeping through the walls. And it was just such a unique, eerie setting that I thought this would be neat if, if Alex's home base was something like this. Like if it was enough still in repair that she could actually sleep in this place and lend a haunting atmosphere to her studies. Oh, most definitely. And it did. And as she drove up and she was looking at it, I just felt like I was there with her. You recreated that very well. Well, thank you. Well, what do you hope your readers take away from this book? Well, I really hope that, well, I hope they'll be entertained, of course, but I really hope when they finish the book, they're inspired to to do something for Wolverines. I mean, even if it's just writing a comment to their representative or a public comment to U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. A lot of organizations like the Center for Biological Diversity make it really easy to go on their sites and click on the little take action links and send off these messages to people that can actually get some legislation going to protect wolverines. And for the more intrepid readers, there are citizen science programs where you can go out into the field and track them in the winter and check remote cameras. And so I, I really just hope people maybe think about what they can do to help because they need our help. It definitely sounds like they do. Well, what was the highlight of writing the book? Definitely spending time in the area where wolverines live. I love the Rockies and I love the high alpine settings, crossing these amazing snow fields and all of the Alpine wildflowers are coming out. And as you mentioned before, seeing and hearing pikas, and it's just a stunning setting. So that was for sure my, the highlight was all of the research and the setting. I agree. I just love the Rocky Mountains. I think they're so pretty and relaxing and they just go for miles. And it's just such a beautiful place to visit. I agree. So how about the title? How did you come up with the title? When I first decided on this series that each book would be about a different endangered species, I wanted the titles for each book to be the name of the species and its group name. You know how there's a herd of deer, a pot of whales, a parliament of owls. So I thought, great. I started writing a Wolverine book and was like, okay, what's the group name for Wolverines? <laughs> well, they're so solitary. There is no group name for Wolverines. And at one point in the book, one of the characters says, well, you have to come up with your own group name for wolverines. And my protagonist says, okay, well, since they're so solitary, how about a solitude of wolverines? So that's how the title came to be. I loved that when I got to that part, because I'm always so curious how a title is created and tied into the book. And I love it when the tie is so direct. And so when I got to that part, and it was just very clear and I just made it the perfect title for the book. And I love the way you incorporated that into the story. Oh, thank you. What about the cover? I was telling you earlier that that's the whole reason I picked up the book was because I thought the cover was stunning, reminded me of the Rockies. And so that's why I picked it up in the first place. Did you have a say in your cover? 
Isn't that cover amazing? Yes. I did have say in the cover. I wanted Alex to be in rugged outdoor gear and I wanted her to be in an action kind of pose. And I love the stormy, almost watercolor skies in it and the mountains. I just completely lucked out with my cover designer and they really listened to my feedback. And I'm so pleased with how it turned out. Because a lot of the times, you know, authors have no say about the cover. So I was really honored to be able to give my feedback about it. That is nice that they let you participate in that conversation because you're right. Not everyone has that opportunity, but I think it's just the perfect cover and it's beautiful and it completely depicts the story and it's different than a lot of other covers. I thought so too. I love like, you know, when you see a Nevada bar cover or William Kent Kruger and they get these incredible landscapes with colors and that's what I wanted. So I was very pleased that that's what I got. (laughs) The covers remind me a little bit of some of CJ Box's covers too, which are mainly in Wyoming, but still that outdoorsy setting and always kind of draw you in. Definitely. So what is the best thing about being a writer? For me, the best thing about being a writer is the freedom on so many levels. I mean, I have the freedom to create for my imagination, to think of any kind of adventure and any kind of character to experience that adventure. But the most important aspect of freedom of being a writer for me is to be able to go out to these remote places and I can work at night and write at night. And then during the day, I can be out looking for caribou or recording wolves. And I don't have to be dependent upon a city location to do it. So that's the most important thing to me is it allows me to continue this wildlife work that I'm so passionate about. Well, and it's great that you can incorporate the two now that you've started this series. It is a way to bring all the talent in my wheelhouse to this passion I have to help wildlife. Do you have any idea what the next book will be about? I do indeed. And in fact, it's off to my editor already. It finds Alex Carter in the Canadian Arctic studying polar bears. Ooh, that'll be great. I love polar bears. So that'll be so interesting. Yay, me too. (laughs) Can you tell anything more about it or do you need to wait since it's with your editor? I think I have to wait because it's with my editor, but I'm really excited about it. And I loved writing it and the research was fascinating. And once again, I'm, I'm just so glad to be able to bring more attention to the plight of polar bears, which of course are far more well-known than wolverines, but they're really in a precarious situation now. I think there's been several stories this summer about polar bears stranded on various icebergs and things like that. So definitely with the warming up of the planet, I would think that their habitats are definitely endangered. They are, and it's worse than researchers realize now, which may have been one of the stories you saw. The New York Times just reported that they think they could all disappear by 2080 at this point. Wow. And they thought earlier that they might be able to survive into the next century, but it's not looking that way now. Oh, that's terrible. Well, hopefully stories like yours and the New York Times writing about it and other things will get people galvanized to start protecting some of these species. I hope you're right. Well, we've talked a little bit about it, but what do you like to do when you're not writing or reading? Well, I I love to sketch and draw, especially out in nature. I just took this great class through the Cornell Bird Academy on nature journaling, and it really helped me turn off, you know, that internal critic, this is a terrible drawing. 
this is an awful drawing. So now I could just draw for the pure joy of it or to capture the gestures of these birds and other wildlife. So I love that. And I can do that out in the field. Of course, I hike a lot. My wildlife studies take me out to some pretty remote locations. And right now I'm working on a, a pika study, as I mentioned. And I'm also doing a study on how bats are being affected by all of this smoke out here right now. Where are you studying the bats that are exposed to the smoke? Here in Tahoe, I've been not going too far afield during COVID. So I've set up my recorders here at Lake Tahoe and I'm just seeing, I want to compare the data I've taken in previous years where there wasn't as much smoke. So then I can determine if different species are being able to tolerate the smoke a little better, if there's any difference in who's now using this habitat when it's so smoky. You're so familiar with all of that and and do it all regularly, but that's just one thing I hadn't really thought about. I mean, I thought about deer and some of the animals that, you know, you kind of see more regularly, but I hadn't really thought about some of the other animals that are probably being heavily impacted by all of the smoke and the fires. You think about the animals that are having to fly up in the air column, birds and bats, and how much more are they affected by really being exposed to the smoke? We go to a lot of national parks and we went to Carlsbad years ago and there's a ton of bats there and every night they fly out of the cave. And that was one of the coolest things to see that happen. Isn't it amazing? They spiral out and from a distance, it almost looks like a column of smoke. In fact, I think the first person who realized that bats were there thought it was smoke, like before the national park was there, the first Euro person. And they just go and go and go. You know, you think, oh, okay, I've seen them. And then, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes later, they're still all coming out. It's amazing they all fit in there. It is incredible. I love, I've been there too to watch them at sunset all spiraling out. It's just amazing. Well, before we wrap up, I would love to hear what you have read lately that you really liked. So I love reading thrillers that incorporate history or science. So some of the reads I've read lately, I just read White Fire by Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child, which I loved, and Demon Crown by James Rollins. And then I also love historical mysteries. So I just finished one of the Molly Murphy mysteries by Reese Bowen that's set in turn of the last century New York. And the P.B. Ryan mysteries where her protagonist is in 1860s Boston. And then I've been delving into a lot of golden age detective fiction. My writer friend, Angela Sanders, who writes mysteries as well, turned me on to this writer, Helen McCloy, who was writing from the 30s through the 70s. And she's just fantastic. So their books are very hard to find, but I've really been enjoying them. And then I just discovered Joe Hart, who wrote this great book about a Liam Dempsey. He's an investigator. and Then most recently, if I need a laugh, which so many of us do right now, I've been reading Phoebe Robinson's book, Everything's Trash, But It's Okay, (laughs) which is a collection of essays on all kinds of things, feminism, being single, life, money. She's just hilarious. So I'm going to have to look that one up because certainly that type of read right now is really resonating with me, you know, needing a break from everything we're currently living and something that's just a little lighter. Have you read Christine Carbo? I haven't read her yet, but I did have the pleasure of meeting her at Left Coast Crime recently. So I definitely want to check out her work. 
I really like that type of book. And so I had read all of them and really enjoyed them. And they're different, different focus, but still just kind of that outdoors. I wish there were more of those type of books because I really like them and it just seems like there still aren't tons. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This was so interesting and informative, and I just absolutely loved talking with you about A Solitude of Wolverines. Well, thank you so much, Cindy, for having me. This has been an absolute joy. Well, thank you, Alice, and I can't wait for everybody else to get to read your book. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. Alice's book can be purchased at Murder by the Book, where I work part-time, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to KP Regan for the sound editing, and I hope to see you next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.